This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. Check, 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 one, two. Hey, what's going on, party people? Back again with some more Stark Reality for you. Small Change, a.k.a. Jim Deer, a little podcast here. This time rolling out the red carpet all the way to Riverside, California for Dr. Esatar Bear. He's a professor of economics there and identifies as a communist, which you don't really see too much in academia in the U.S. these days. We talk about his background growing up, uh, recent viral tweets about Stalin, academia in general, the cruelty of capitalism, a.k.a. victims of capitalism, (laughs) and uh, Uyghur and China propaganda and being assertive against these false narratives and just trying to retain a sense of humor in this wonderful world we live in. He's also practiced meditation for many years, and Dr. Bear gave us a nice quote-unquote Generation X playlist of hip-hop rock and modern sounds. Dr. Asatar Bear, here on Stark Reality. Dr. Uh, Asatar Bear, right? Yeah, Asatar, right. Asatar, yeah, I just want to make sure I got that right. And uh, you teach out of uh, Riverside? Yes, Riverside City College. Nice, nice. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a while, so that's kind of how I came across you. But uh, I know that you you have like a whole YouTube with uh, all kinds of uh, lessons, introductions, all this stuff. So you're putting out a lot of information out there, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I did the YouTube channel um, initially. I mean, it came out of the pandemic, you know, Um, and it was just my lectures for, you know, my classes. And, um, I didn't really expect that necessarily to like go anywhere. Although I was kind of, it was, it bothered me when I, I don't know, just teaching and teaching a lot, you know, community college, you teach a lot. Um, and I was like, I think I'm giving some pretty good lectures and it. It's just sort of like, well, they're so isolated, you know, like if you take a class, then you get that. But if not, then it kind of goes out into the ether, so to speak, you know, you yeah, sort of, you've right. done it. It was a, it's almost like a performance in a way because you're teaching, yeah. but then it's not really recorded. So, you <laughs> right. know, if you were there, you're like, Oh, he was an amazing professor. And you're like, well, I wasn't there. So I would, I yeah, know? totally. <laughs> so for years I had been meaning to be like, I, I had been meaning to kind of like, I don't know, put this together or something, or I had, I also had the thought that, that maybe the classroom could be different, you know, maybe the classroom could be not like me lecturing, but um, the lectures could be out there and then people could watch them and then we could sort of discuss, you know, um, that hasn't really happened yet. I have to be honest, because, you know, like we're barely back. We just back like a few weeks ago, uh, you know, from the pandemic. Um, but I, I feel like, well, you know, my stuff is out there. There was a kind of moment where, 
I was like, oh my God, you know, like are, are people going to scrutinize the hell out of my lectures? And like, is there going to be pushback and stuff like this? Am I dealing with comments on YouTube? I turned off the comments because I was like, you know, I'm sending my students here. They don't need to see like a bunch of <laughs> YouTube debate or whatever. You know? Yeah, YouTube comments, I think, are the most special type of comments. Of all the comments uh, in the, you know, the online world, the YouTube commenters are always kind of special. So yeah. yeah. But uh, and also, I mean, you you were uh, kind of got into this whole brouhaha on Twitter about posting pro Stalin tweets, which I thought was uh, kind of, you know, hilarious, but also good. You're kind of like trying to push back against these sort of things that have been kind of pushed on us. And it's like, OK, for the people that have lied about absolutely everything, why are you still trusting their take on Stalin? You know, much less communism yeah. in general. So. It's something that I think as I've kind of like keep trying to educate myself and sort of follow like different anti-imperialist type of, you know, politics. It's sort of a it's just funny how much you just realize how much of what we've been taught growing up, especially in the West or American, is just a straight up lie. It's crazy. Yeah. And it seems like there's no greater period in history than World War Two, like to, you know, that's really centers on that. It's like. It's like, you know, it's, you know, like you ever look at the History Channel or something. I mean, don't do it because it's horrible, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> History Channel, it's like all World War II all the time, you know, like it's the most popular historical period for people to study ever, you know, and it's the most laden with garbage ideas, propaganda, lies. I mean, just stuff that's not at, not even close to being evidence based. And and that is true at the highest levels of scholarship, you know. Um, and I think this is, you know, like a fascinating example of this, right, is, is about this, you know, I mean, like the, the period that everyone kind of focuses on in the Soviet Union is the 1930s, you have the collectivization of agriculture, and you have this famine in the Ukraine, right? Um, and so, you know, you have this, this Yale-educated scholar, right, or teaches at Yale, or Timothy Snyder, and, you know, makes this, this argument, right, in, in his book called Bloodlands, uh, that Stalin kills between six and nine million people. And, you know, this is like the, the pinnacle of elite higher ed, right? Um, and the book's a bestseller, you know? I mean, and, and then we have a scholar like Grover Fur who, who takes this seriously and examines every single piece of supporting evidence. And what he finds is the supporting evidence is, does not support the argument in the slightest, right? I mean, like he goes through, exhaustively goes through every single footnote. Like a lot of original right. sources and et cetera. Yeah, the original sources are either lies or they don't say what they, <laughs> what Snyder says they say, you know, or they don't support the argument in the slightest, you know? Um, and that's just fascinating. I mean, like as a scholar myself, if somebody took the time to go through my book with that level of detail and refute it, and write a book from themselves about it. I mean, uh, first of all, you look like a complete bitch. Yeah, I was about to say, offer. like, why did you even write the book in the first place if you knew it was just a whole stack of lies that would eventually? Well, came yeah, around? right. That's a good question. I mean, I, I think the answer to that has to do with funding. It has to do with who gets to the highest level of, right. of elite academia. Um, it is people who are going to play ball with the existing pro-imperialist, anti-communist narratives. Absolutely. You do not get hired at Yale otherwise. I mean, like, I'm sorry, but that's just, that's just the reality. 
Yeah, what so were you calling them, of, like the sort of technocrats or something? <laughs> I forgot. You know, yeah, I was, totally, totally. They're, they're I mean, sort no. of like, in the, in the end, like even though they're not necessarily like what would be a sort of a classic definition of someone that's bourgeois, they kind of side with that because they sort of think they're above the workers because of this academic training. Yeah. And then, of course, they've totally. also been promoted because they share sort of the ideas. They're sort of they're sort of promoting the bourgeois class for like intellectuals, which is kind of insidious if you think about it. You know. Yeah, it's like being a you know it's it's being a propaganda producer, um, and propaganda for the the bourgeoisie certainly. Now, some of these people maybe can join the ranks if they, you know, really hustle or whatever. Right. right? You know, you're going to make. I don't know, 200, 250K or something like this at an elite university, um, you know, that's certainly enough to push you, you know, nearer to the top of the income distribution than the bottom, but right. it, it doesn't by itself make you part of the capitalist class, of course. I mean, you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to sort of do other things, right, in order to, in order to get there. And maybe some of them do some, some start companies or whatever, you know, consulting firms. This is like a way that in my field, certainly in economics, uh, a lot of people that that's kind of where the bigger money is, you know, it's not in the, the teaching salary. Oh, so, so tell me about this. So do people teach for a while and then they bounce out to some corporate job as a consultant? Is that like a sort of pathway for some people? So I didn't even think, I think about that's this. Common. I mean, I have to say, I don't know that well because I haven't. <laughs> that's, that's your style. Right? That <laughs> that's, that's the grand plan, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, I, well, you, you, there's going to be more demand for you, the better your credentials are. I mean, better, right? I mean, like we have to, you can't say that without irony. You know, we, we have to say like, well, okay, you know, these are the returns for being part of the, the elite system. And I turned my back on that a long time ago. You know, I mean, I, um, I'll say I definitely tried for it, you know, as a, uh, you know, I tried to get into the best college that I could and whatever. And I, I applied, um, I was, um, I didn't have uniformly good grades in high school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with your listeners. Uh, I, I always had a lot of problems with authority as a young person. And, uh, you know, I was, I, uh, I loved reading and I loved ideas, but I didn't love um, the structure of the classroom. I didn't love the idea that, you know, the teacher was going to tell you the right answer and, you know, then you repeat it. And I don't know, you know, all this stuff that, that education, the whole structure that it exists in, you know, I had a lot of problems with that. So of course the irony is that now I'm, you know, charged with overseeing that myself. Right? I was just going to, I was, I didn't want to get you off your train of thought, but uh, I did <laughs> actually want to think about from your background. And I think it's kind of funny for someone that kind of struggled. And then now you're a PhD in teaching. It's kind of like a crazy journey, but how does that now affect how you teach or how you would like to see the education system going? knowing that you kind of came in as a kid, not being a fan of it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think about this a lot, especially just being involved in the, in this kind of mass public educational project that I'm involved in on Twitter, you know, which, which is, it's just fascinating to me because it's, it's similar. I mean, like, like a lot of the ideas and the training and why, you know, I really call on that, you know, uh, and I get pushed too, because there's lots of stuff I don't know about, you know, and people are constantly asking me things or asking me for my take on things or asking me to read things, you know, that, that sort that pushes me, you know, and that's good. Right. Um, but I think the thing that's the most fascinating about it is just how different 
the process of education is, uh, I mean, like I get messages from people every single day asking me, what should I read? You know, I'm like, I wish that my college students were asking me like, Dr. Bear, what should I read? You know, they don't ask that, you know, they're, you know, trying to get through school. It's overwhelming. They're working, you know, they have their family obligations. Like I get it, you know, like, I mean, you know, this is the struggle of a working person trying to do college and, you know, we don't make it easy in this country. Right. I mean, like college costs money, books cost money. And the biggest cost of college is the opportunity cost, right? The fact that it takes your time and that impedes your ability to make a living. I mean, that, that's the huge unseen and untalked about cost of college. And, you know, if we wanted people to get an education, we would pay them to do that. I mean, that's because it's work, you know, like reading books is work. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's that. kind of interesting that uh, I never really thought about that, but sort of like working through college is sort of like having two jobs because obviously it is. your college and is I a think- job, you know? Yeah, I didn't really think about it like that, but in terms of the time and work that you have to put in, obviously, totally, and, and it and it makes it more difficult for people to to complete it. So, but I just also think, like on a meta level, like what is education teaching you, or or bourgeois education, like I like to think of it. You know, it's it's teaching you things like respect authority. Uh, there are experts; you have to listen to them you know, you, you don't really matter that much in terms of the, you know, the grand scheme of things, whatever. I don't think these are great messages for socialism and communism. I don't think it's great messages for humanity, honestly, you know, like, I don't, I don't think this is a a moment where we all need to just fit into boxes and like, you know, obey and listen to authority. Well, so what you're going to say is like, when you said obey and all that stuff, it starts to sound like the, they live film, you know, from the the 80s or whatever. (laughs) It's like you put on the glasses, you know? But, uh, which is like, yeah, kind of ever popular, but yeah, for that reason that, but I feel like what you're saying is those people are kind of like, it's sort of a sophisticated con. They're kind of like gatekeepers. They're sort of like, listen to the experts. Okay. So what are the quote unquote experts on say a random corporate sort of MSNBC, not even Fox, you're still going to have like what ex CIA officers or ex Pentagon officials telling us why. We need to think about women's rights in Afghanistan all of a sudden after 20 years or something. It's like, if those are the experts, then that's a freaking con, man. Come on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even if they're experts, though, you get kind of the same perspective. And, you know, I just think, you know, so what I see happening on Twitter is different. You know, like you have this kind of I mean, I'm, I'm like, what is proletarian education? What is that? Right. What is what is working people educating themselves using resources that are helpful, comparing ideas, having debates, right? I mean, this is all the stuff that you that you should see in the classroom, but you don't, right? Because like who decides on the materials, right? I mean, we do, right? The professors do, you know, like, so if somebody wants to add something or whatever, I mean, you know, everything is working against the student, like really participating and really engaging in their education, right? Um, now, I mean, I don't want to say social media is all positive, right? Obviously, it has an awful <laughs> lot of negatives, right? It's what's what's Twitter? Yeah, what's Twitter's nickname? The hell, the hell site, right? The, the hell, hell site, site. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hellbird. <laughs> you know, when I first saw people, see, you know, tweeting that and whatever, like I've been on Twitter a long time, but I haven't always been active. You know, I've yeah. been a kind of, you know, in and out, and you know, I had. I had lengthy periods in my life where even though I was a communist from a a young age, 
I had lengthy periods in my life where I kind of hid that, or I, I wasn't like out front with it, you know? And I mean, I think people can sympathize. It's, it's right? understandable. Like, I mean, it's something yeah. I actually really wanted to talk to you about because I think it's, it's very understandable that it could be kind of sort of this, you know, career curtailer, you know, that, you know, basically could affect your unemployment or just even how people see you. And I think that's just a testament to how deep the brainwashing is that, you know, you, they're happy to call other states authoritarian, but God forbid that you want to be a communist and say, write for the New York Times. It's just probably never going to happen. You know what I mean? Like right. any kind of corporate media source, how would they, how would you fare if you were an openly communist? They probably wouldn't hire you, you know? And, and I think with academia, there's this whole idea of like, okay, we're open and free and stuff. But uh, I think there is like a lot of conservative in academia. I mean, for example, how many out and out communist professors are there? You know, it's like, it's not, kind many. Of, not yeah. many, not many, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, we're told that like, you know, the acad academia is run by communists and whatever. Uh, it's really not, you know, I mean, you, you, you have, there's substantial negative possible consequences. Now they don't happen all the time, right? It, it does, de it does depend on sort of how prominent you are. I think there's a kind of middle ground, right? Like, so, you know, I mean, one of the big things that's been happening, of course, in academia is the the rise of adjuncts and the fall of like the tenured, you know, professorial class. Right. So that makes I mean, like if you're an adjunct, my God, your your employment is incredibly tenuous, you know, like, you know, I mean, to, to say you that you probably hired, you probably wouldn't speak up necessarily if you were worried about that. Right. Yeah. I think you also have some anonymity in the sense that. People, you know, the university structure, the college structure, they don't really know you very, very well. You know, they're, you're like a cog in the machine, you know, and you might be overlooked. And I mean, this is true. This is true on the assistant professor. You know, if you're in the, in the tenure pipeline, you know, you might be overlooked. Although again, that depends, you know, so, you know, there's like an, a range where you're unimportant, you know? And so, and if you're unimportant, nobody gives a fuck what your, what your views are, right? Like, but, but, and then there's a range where you're so important that, you know, you're kind of bulletproof, you know, this would be somebody like Cornell West. I was just going to say, but then he didn't even get tenor, right? At Harvard. Didn't well, he get you know, I mean, nobody's, nobody's above being fucked with by the machine. I yeah. think, you know, that's exactly. Yeah. But you do have some protection being, if you are a world famous scholar. Now, the problem of course, is that it's difficult to get to that level. Right. I mean, like, you know, Cornell West is somebody I admire. I've, I had the chance to meet him, you know, I mean, like, you know, he's a legitimately great scholar, but, you know, I mean, he's also, he's done decades of work, you know, it took him some time to get that level. Right. So, you know, that's, that's maybe not a good, like, oh yes, yeah, so you get to the Cornell West level and then you're, you have some you protection. You just have to release a hip hop record. Then you, then you'll be good. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Start, <laughs> start your crossovers now. <laughs> No, respect to Cornel West, though, of course, he's the man. I think if you're in the middle zone, you, you have a lot more problems, you know, like if you're, you're, you're a professor, that means you have some prominence, you know, but you're not world famous, you know, you're not, I mean, like if Cornel West was to leave, you know, his institution, um, he wouldn't have a problem getting another job. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. So, you know, versus somebody like me, let's say, I mean, I have tenure, you know, so I'm difficult to fire, but nobody is impossible to fire. You know, I mean, 
the the uh, before I worked at RCC, I spent a year uh, working at the University of Southern Maine. Uh, I was an adjunct for that year. This is when I was returning to teaching back in 2015. And the reason that they had openings is because they they fired like a hundred out of 400 of their tenured faculty. You know, so it does happen. It's you know, it's it's certainly possible, um, and that's something that kind of you know, that's a reality. I mean, like when that Stalin tweet blew up, people were like, how are you a professor? You should be fired, you know? And you, you never like to see, like, you know, my tweet got something like 20,000 replies. You never like to see thousands of people actively calling for your job. You know, like that's, that's always a little bit of a trip. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I wouldn't call yourself, say, like that maple character, main character of the day, because a lot of those things are based on just horrible takes. Like we just live in such a brainwashed world that you're going to have thousands of people say, you know, almost echoing something out of the 50s. Like you damn commie, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's which I think is crazy because it's like it's 2020. It's sort of crazy that people are still that deeply into it and i don't know if you did you follow any of the stuff with like steven salido who was a he was a professor that got fired for some tweets about palestine he was a palestinian professor and he university being, of like uh illinois i forget champagne i think but he ended up suing yeah. and winning but it was a whole process and kind of like yeah. he has a lot of interesting thoughts on academia that i think uh you probably dig and like he left really... academia and like drives a bus yeah, or drives a school like bus yeah exactly yeah yeah i read an article by him yeah that was that was where i for i i, I missed the flap itself i just had for some reason read read his article um, but i think there's like you know i mean not that it's obviously the same but it's the same kind of like intimidation that you know and I feel like the same thing happens in media, too, that if you're going to get a job in corporate media, you probably think along the lines of this kind of Western. You sort of drink the Kool-Aid to a certain degree, you know, because yeah. why would you be writing an article about how evil Maduro is and probably not mention the sanctions or mention it in the 20th paragraph if you didn't buy into all the bullshit in the first place? You know, totally, totally. One of the I got a lot of DMs as well from various people, like most of them, most of them were like abusive, you know, but um, and I got them like across platforms. I got them on Facebook, you know, like even though that was involved, I got stuff on YouTube. I mean, I got I got people sent me handwritten letters. You, you could know, you come like, out with like a best of there's your next book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my I best, got my best I got DMs. Nice, I got some nice DMs as well, like from people that I. Uh, that I admire, like like I got a, a nice one from uh, from Caitlin Johnstone, who's uh, oh yeah, she's fan. she's awesome. She's someone yeah. I would like to interview at some point. I got to holler at her about yeah, her. she's she great. Does, she does great writing, great writing, very fearless, you know. And but also somebody who has figured out a way to completely exist outside of like the traditional media landscape, and that's interesting. Um, I also got one from uh, this woman named Samira Khan, who was on, or maybe it still is on um rt uh this is isn't somebody i'd even ever heard of you know but but then i i so i was like oh i don't know who this is i have to google them I, but i see they're like a blue check right and so i i have to google them and then i was like look at this she got in trouble for sort of the same thing right like defending stalin like a few years back or something there was like right. this flap i think she got suspended from twitter or something like this and so i was like wow that's interesting you know like so here we have a, a media figure you know who's Who's in kind of the, the same spot. And, you know, we compared notes about this a little bit, you know, with, did that cause you problems, you know, like, 
because it's a very real possibility, right? Like getting blacklisted never really went away, you know? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's crazy. Um, and I just think that, like, you know, it's just, like I said, one of the things, but especially sort of what sort of led me towards this stuff is generally being leftist, but just kind of following stuff like Israel, Palestine, U.S. empire type of moves. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, I still feel like I'm a rookie communist, like I need to read a lot more theory and whatever. But, uh, you know, just because it's, I think it should be rooted in like anti-imperialism and kind of recognizing the U.S. for what it is and also recognizing these systems, like looking at it, I guess, you know, from a you know, that Marxist materialistic like analysis, really looking at things really with logic and also with tempered with actually caring, you know, like maybe we should care that people don't have enough food, even if it doesn't work out in your economic system because some people might lose money. But, you know, right. Like, I think you were mentioning on another podcast, kind of looking at treating people as if, you know, it's more of a family, even though it's obviously harder to do with a nation and in a bigger perspective but you know you wouldn't let a family member starve even if they didn't have enough food money to buy food but that's essentially what happens in society that's what we do basically yeah so it's like yeah and in like a bigger way it's just a brutal brutal system but it's sort of like masked in a way because it's like well they just didn't work hard enough so that's why they had to auction their house for cancer treatment <laughs> you know or just i don't know like what gets justified yeah. is just really sick in the society you know it's it's brutal because the the potential to do that is there you know like do we have the wealth to eliminate global starvation which kills 9 million people a year absolutely we do you know it does it wouldn't even cost that much money in the grand scheme of things it's right crazy. so it's crazy like when we have the ability to do that and still do nothing like isn't that kind of a greater crime than okay you know hey there was a famine because society's ability to produce output is you know curtailed it affects by the weather or whatever okay that's maybe we don't have the capacity to deal with that but now we do, right? I mean, like our technology is at a much greater level, you know, like how on earth are we permitting people to die from things like just lack of access to simple diseases that are easy to prevent? Things like malaria, you know, malaria kills nearly a million people a year. We could eliminate almost all those deaths, right? Uh, or just lack of clean water, you know? I mean, that leads to all kinds of problems, you know? And, and so what do we do with that? We sort of put it on, you know, private charity organizations, NGOs or whatever, that get a tiny fraction of the funding that they need to, to, to deal with this. That's not how you take something seriously, right? I mean, like, you know, that's how you tinker with it and, and basically say, I don't give a fuck, you know? Um, yeah. So I just think we need to look at society's capacities, you know, and then look at what, what results are, are being delivered. And, you know, people come to me all the time and they say, well, capitalism is the greatest, you know, thing that lifts people out of poverty. And it's like, <laughs> no. It's not. I mean, this is just a myth that it's a you know, serious Kool-Aid. There's so yeah. many things I just keep thinking about, like, oh, you know, as you'll get older, you'll get more conservative or all these things. It's just <laughs> it's almost like, again, it's almost like trying to push people. It's like, well, then why am I, you know, going farther and farther left as I get older? It's like maybe, you, should, you know, they. I, it's almost I believe that that thing is almost an assumption like you're older, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, you know then yeah. the conservative you'll people don't taxes, want it to yeah. be against taxes. And then that's how you'll vote. And that's why you're conservative because you'll want to save money. You know, it's, but it's like these, these sayings that are around or, you know, even the, the classic, like the victims of communism, 
you know, death figures that, of course, include dead Nazis, you know, in the death figures and and other kinds yeah. of things. And and what's funny, these, these things also seem like, again, to me, from you know, even though I wasn't alive, I was born in the 70s. But like they seem like this 50s, 60s John Birch Society, like just almost like old school. But it's still around, obviously, even like if you look at the, the Uyghur Muslim nonsense. It's like, who's the main figure behind it? You know, Adrian Zetz, right. uh, victims of communism. You know, so it's almost like these John Birch Society type, you know, groups are still around, still doing the same bullshit, you know, just a different, different country now, you know. I feel a little bit divided about these big figures, you know, as communism killed 100 million people and stuff. You know, the only way that you get figures like that, like, as you said, quite rightly, uh, you, you count every casualty of World War II as being due to communism, which is like unbelievable. Um, so you count a lot of dead Nazis, but you also count people who were never born. I mean, that's the only way you get to a figure like this. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you say like, oh, well, we'll take an arbitrary birth rate from an arbitrary year and then we'll say, oh, it declined. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God, there's tens of millions of people that should have been there and now are not. And we'll call right. those deaths, you know, like I personally, I, maybe I'm weird this way, but I think that somebody has to have lived before they can be killed. You know, like that's <laughs> that's my that's my uh, evidence based approach, you know. So I, I just think it's crazy that like that that's not more widely recognized as a complete, you know, basically statistical fraud, you know, and that people repeat that figure endlessly. Um, I feel divided about it because I kind of want to produce, you know, like a round number or whatever. It has so much power. I'm like, I'd love to produce a comparable figure for capitalism. Oh, my God. Know? It'd be. It'd be. Yeah. Especially if you did the birth rate thing, then it would maybe be like <laughs> more people than on Earth, you know, obviously. Yeah. But it's like you don't also don't when you know, you know, you know, something like that is going to be like scrutinized closely in terms of the methodology. Of so you want to, you know, you want to like try to be like, uh, you know, above board and scholarly and whatever. And you can do this. Right. Because. But they don't have you know, to. You know, that's what I just get so sick of. It's like they can yeah. just make a bed. Like, who is that? That North Korean defector uh, was it Yomini Park or what? I mean, right. this, those stories are just bananas. Like the rats eat the children, then the children eat the rats. And it's just like cycle of children eating. <laughs> it's just like, who comes up with these fucking stories? There's, there's one train and people have to push it. Like, well, then why would they it. push it? Wouldn't they just walk there then? Why would they I all love be that not even Joe Rogan like just is gonna believe that, right? You know? oh, come on, man. I mean, I know that guy smokes a lot of pot, but come on, man. Wake <laughs> He's up. He's like they push the train, really. No, but I mean, I mean, it's just kind of crazy that they can, and that's how I feel even with like the Uyghur narrative too, or or anything on China. It's almost like this kind of like let's just throw everything out there and just see what sticks, you know? Like, sticks. Yeah, yeah, Kim Jong Un has died for the third time this year, or whatever. You know, what I mean, like, I don't know. Media is just crazy. Media, and it's just I don't know. Really I think we're crazy. getting to a, an interesting point though, where where people are like, yeah, the media lies a lot. Yeah, you know? it does. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this phrase fake news is maybe the only good thing to come out of the Trump era, you know, like to say that there's fake news and have that be a broad shared understanding is, I think, maybe good. I mean, there's a lot of negatives that, you know, OK, people say it's fake news and then they go with other stuff that's even faker. But, you know, I, I think it's a good it's a possibly a progressive step. I think that that I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm experimenting with using this because a lot of the people who are anti-communists and, and, you know, hit me in the replies or whatever with, with nonsense, you know, like I just tell them, look, you've been lied to, you know, 
sorry about that. You know, you just, you, you like, you think this and you're wrong. I, you know, I'm like, there's no other way to say it, you know, like, or it's like, Hey, that's fake news. You know, uh, just like how the media lies today, they've been lying about this for over a hundred years, you know, like, yeah. And it's just, it's, a lot of lies. it's, it's like unfortunate. Cause I feel like, you know, and a lot of people that you probably see on Twitter, you know, tend to shit on the Western left, you know, with quotation marks, because, a lot of times they don't, they still buy into a little bit of that kind of Western propaganda shit. Like even oh, yeah. a, a number of people that I respect generally, you know, fell for the Cuba shit, you know, when it's like, this is like an op, you know, like, yeah, it's like, I don't know. And, and, and just not, and not understanding like the real reason for why these countries are suffering, which is because they're under the thumb of empire, the sanctions or whatever, you know? That's been going yeah. on longer than even Kennedy. You know, I mean, if you think about it, it's like 60 plus years. It's it's kind of a crazy amount of time. And to think like to blame that on, you know, Castro or communism is just like, again, it's like, wow, you guys are really believing the con man with this shit. It's like you, that's one of the things that I thought was interesting, because, you know, as a scholar, you were saying you got to need you need to show me like show me these numbers, show me it. It's almost like poker. It's like, OK. You have that hand, show me your cards, you know, like show, <laughs> show the evidence, like show yeah. it and, and really look at like why these countries are suffering. And if you look at it from a logical way and I feel like, yeah, a lot of the media, they just leave out the framing, you know, it's like, oh, this country, this country's suffering and they don't even ever mention the sanctions. They don't mention that they've tried to kill their leader. <laughs> like how many times, you know, Castro yeah. or, you know, Chavez or Maduro, all these leaders, they're just... So I think that's like, I think, you know, something to take into account. Like when you're looking at these countries, it's not like they're just operating. They're operating with, you know, countries trying to go to war with them or screw with them. They're a lot more powerful than them. And they're still, you know, Cuba throwing out all those doctors and doing all this stuff. It's kind of like actually amazing what they can do, yeah. you know, yeah. even under all this stuff. And that's why I feel like it should be supported. Like, you know, unquestionably, it's like, why would you buy this bullshit? I don't know. You know, yeah, it's you frustrating know, I mean, to me, you know, it, it is. I mean, we have to kind of look at it a lot in a long historical frame, too, you know, like that, that socialism, I mean, like, you know, to go back 150 years, 170 years, you know, like go back to the era of the Communist Manifesto. Uh, this is completely theoretical, you know, it's like, hey, we have some ideas that maybe we could move towards a society that's better for the average person, you know? And here's some, here's a sketch of some of the things we would do, you know? Like, I mean, they actually have that in the Communist Manifesto, right? They have a kind of list, you know, here's, here's some policy ideas. Um, but, you know, we fast forward to today and it's like, this isn't theory anymore, you know? This is, this is something that has an established history, a legacy, it has results, you know? And we should look at those results, right? Like, and we should look at them using the best methods of social science, not this bullshit where we, you know, we take some, you know, completely essentialized figure, you know, and then say, well, this is evil. Like, like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, like that's not how con. serious it's, anything. It's you know? a con. I mean, because I think it's sort of like you kind of realize that capitalism is sort of unraveling the U.S. empire is kind of unraveling a little bit and so it's kind of like to me these ways to kind of just have people keep buying into a system that's essentially you know killing them as you know i think you mentioned in another interview like 
I think you were quoting Marx on the capitalism produces its own grave diggers, you know, or, yeah. or the snake eats its own tail, you know, that how much profit are you going to make if the, if the world is on fire or your city is underwater or whatever? You just don't think about that, though. And you almost see that in COVID, too. They can't even shut down the economy for a month or two. And then you end up with 600,000 deaths plus that are, and all of this is kind of normalized, you know? And yeah. you look at other countries and it's like, well, why can't we, you know, maybe, maybe we should be some more and more quote unquote authoritarian and we might have a few less uh, lives lost. But I mean, I'm just saying these terms are terrible, you know what I mean? But, well, if we had taken it really seriously very early on and, and done lockdowns and contact tracing, I, I, I think, I find it it's it's just very frustrating when you see that kind of thing being done now you know like now come on you know like you don't lock the barn after the horse has been stolen you know like this isn't really the time for contact tracing you know like covid is so widespread in in the u.s populace right, right. you know like you you're not you're not gonna it's just you know like you've already failed to listen to the harm reduction experts the risk managers you know like the the epidemiologists the people who have expertise in this and, you know, like now we sort of understand things a little bit differently and maybe a little bit better in some cases. Right. I mean, like, I mean, where I am in California, like mask wearing is like, you know, very, very prevalent, you know, uh, and OK, that's fine. But like, you know, the fact that it's that we didn't listen, that we casted doubt on this, right, that we you know, we politicized it, that we did this, that and the other. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know, like if, if, and then we continue to spin this crazy narrative that says like China's to blame, like, first of all, even if that were true, how would that help anybody? You know, like, it's, it's just like a straight projection deflection. I mean, a lot of times what I find in media, many things of what they blame China, Russia, X, Y, Z country on the axis of evil or whatever, you know, basically that's what we're doing or have done, you yeah. know? It's it's just like the concentration camps. And then like, what about the ICE detention centers at the border or whatever you want to call them? And, you know, prison labor and all this stuff. It's kind of like it to me. It's it's that classic scapegoat. It's like, look at what they're doing that we're actually doing. But look what they're doing that we made up. You know, it's yeah, still still believing in that kind of American, you know, the American dream, you know, whatever. I find that a lot of this propaganda that that's operative here, a lot of it is actually targeted toward the left or toward a kind of the progressive segment or the liberal segment, you know, because, and, and this is where the role of like, you know, credentialed scholarship comes in, you know, because, you know, like you, if you, if you went to college or whatever, you know, or just even maybe, maybe just pick this up in the secondary education sphere. It's like, that whole thing, respect experts and whatever, respect scholarship, respect elite academia. Um, and, you know, like, I think you you buy into this more with more education, you know, like education tends to turn you sort of liberal in that sense, right? Like, Classical you know, liberal. the technocratic elite, you know? And then you have this whole group of people that are like producing this propaganda and using, very explicitly using left language, you know? Yeah, They're that's kind of twisted. Colonization. Yeah, it's very twisted, right? They're they're using these terms. They're saying, you know, I mean, like just this whole idea that we've seen recently that our withdrawal from Afghanistan and and by implication, our presence in Afghanistan had anything to do with the rights of women, you know, like that that's what we were doing there. I mean, what a 
what a fantasy that is. It's you just know? like, fuck you. It's so insulting. Yeah. It's so fucking insulting. It's crazy. But then people who care about the rights of women, you know, and, and are like, well, yeah, they're right. You know, we've got to do something for these poor women, you know? And it's like, um, sure. Yeah. I, but, but what would be the best thing to do for women globally? I mean, well, it's the same thing that would be best for those that are poorest and most vulnerable, because the fact of the matter is that women face oppression in, you know, in our world. Right. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you, you raise the status of the poorest and most vulnerable, you know, and the simplest way to do that is to make sure everyone has enough food. Everyone has a place to live. Stop bombing has them. has a basic income. <laughs> Stop bombing them. You know, Stop I mean? bombing them. Yeah, right. Even before you do any of that stuff. I mean, know? it's just like, yeah. it's just kind of crazy. Or even just, you know, and again, like looking at that more of like a material type of analysis, like, okay, what were we doing in Afghanistan in uh, the 70s? You know, like that there's right. actually a whole precedent where they were actually having a society that was more you know, open to women's rights and we help destroy that. So it's, we it's that, yeah. I just think that's the thing. It's like, you're dealing with someone who is a disingenuous character, you know, in terms of like anyone that is promoting this sort of bourgeois sort of like Western imperialism thought, it's just not yeah. a genuine character. So, you know, I think you mentioned this in other interview. You, you got, I think you should be more assertive. Like people should be more assertive to push back because, you know, it's a deliberate framing that you have to keep, you know, answering all these questions about lies they made up. And, and while you're doing that, you're not really talking about like what's really going on. It becomes like sort of a theater in a way. Like, I don't know. I've kind of drifted away from debate on social media just because I get tired of just, you know, refuting lies. It's just crazy. It just seems like, why can't we just actually go to the look at what's really happening instead of pretending to care about people, actually care about people. And, you know, I mean, like I said, in some ways, that's what has made me lean towards communism, because it seems like that is more of an ideology that actually cares. And obviously, communism does not give yeah. a shit, man. They do not give a shit if poor people die. I mean, I think that's really been proven. Capitalism, long yeah. yeah. Capitalism, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's confusing, right? Because we there's just so many layers of lies. There's yeah. so much psychology that is, it's just so manipulative, right? It's I mean, crazy. and like, what does it use? It uses these primal mechanisms that we all have, you know, like our hopes, our fears, our longing, our desires. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable, like how much has gone into, and you know, it all dovetails, right? Like, marketing and advertising and, and public relations and all of these fields, you know, like these are fields where they train you in them, that manner of manipulation, you know? Um, and I think honestly, like as evil as this all is, I actually think we should take the enemy's weapons and use them. I mean, the classic tactic of guerrilla warfare, you know, the, the left is hugely believers in this liberal idea that if you just tell people the facts, and, you know, give them like this rational, clear argument that you're going to convince people. No, look, you know, like, I mean, psychology is very clear on this, you know, like people are influenced by rational arguments. Yes. But that's a tiny slice of what influences people. Right. Like, you know, so, I mean, I see basically what I do on, on Twitter and what I think, you know, the, the larger communist community and whatever does on there, it's ideological conditioning, you know, it's, we're producing propaganda, you know, I don't mean that as a negative because I think basically every narrative is biased, you know, like 
It's just who is it biased in favor of? You yeah, know? How about like, pro-human propaganda? Since we have so exactly. much of the of the uh, pro-death cult propaganda, you know, it's like yeah. how about stuff that was actually, yeah, exactly biased towards we class. care about human beings since we are human beings. You know, what a, what a, what yeah. a concept, you know. So I think you kind of do everything right. I mean, like you, you first of all, you, you act like what this is. You know, this is an ideological battle. You know. And I mean, like I said recently on another podcast, you don't start a battle with an apology. You know, you don't start off by saying, "Well, let's Stalin and, 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 and now." And blah, blah, blah. Liberals are so milquetoast, man. That. They're so damn milquetoast. No. Exactly. You exactly. start off by saying, "Look, here's the fucking bottom line." You know, like socialism has monumental achievements. It has massively improved the lives of hundreds of millions of people in the shortest possible time that we've ever seen that historically. If you understood the context. That's the inescapable conclusion. Now, you want to you want to quibble with me about the, the Caden massacre or some bullshit? Well, yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. You know, come on, <laughs> get the big picture straight. You know, like but that 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 nitpicking uh, to me is is almost a form of ops. You know, it's all because I've also yeah. just I used to argue a lot with like Zionists about apartheid, and so that's like they would go through and have all these made up kind of. It's just there's a lot of kind of like yeah, people get into this kind of made up history they buy into it and then they hit you with all these sort of points that they've been taught you know and it's just like yeah i and one of the, the things the end that... result is is always to reject right it's always well here's why it doesn't work you know and it's like you know look like you... have there been problems and mistakes of course right but you know does that mean you reject the project like and also let's keep a sense of scale you know <laughs> like well, or, the other or, thing, too, is that the focus is, especially with some people who attack when they have nothing, is to just keep, you know, fight, you know, focusing on the evils of socialism or communism where you're defending it. But it's like, how about taking that same approach to capitalism? As you said, like how many victims of capitalism right. when and that is, I think, also part of that approach of uh, constantly attacking. So then you don't actually have to talk about what capitalism does, you know. Right. It's very similar with like Zionists. It's like they just come up with all this stuff so that you actually never are talking about Israel. When <laughs> it's like yeah. you're, you're never talking about the U.S. Empire, or you're never talking about like like all these kind of. You're never talking about capitalism because you're too busy, you know, defending some bullshit lie about communism. It's it's really annoying. You never really get to like actually. It's time to start socking you guys because, you know, <laughs> there's nothing to defend here. You know, I don't know. A debate, a debate works and the way that you win a debate is by you attack. You know, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. You know, that's interesting. I try to, you know, that my ethos is that I try not to attack a person, you know, like I don't believe in that, you know, but I'll attack the hell out of a bullshit argument. You know, yeah. I yeah. mean, I do it politely, I, you know, if I can. Right. Like, I mean, I'm there's definitely fools on there who test my patience, but I, I consider it kind of, you, you know, what the old adage is in boxing is you never lose your temper in a fight. Interesting. You know? Yeah, because you want to stay in control, right? Even though you're fighting, right? You still want to, you know, you want to fight effectively. So, you know, if you're going to lose your temper, you got to, you gotta, it's got to be very controlled, you know? Like that's well, the, I think you've got to done some kind of almost classy trolling in a way on Twitter. It's kind of funny. <laughs> you have like a funny sense of humor because it's like, again, it's like there is just a lot of knuckleheads out there. So you're trying to kind of... Uh, approach it yeah. with but you know i think it's kind of you know i kind of have sense i feel like you know you have a sense of humor on twitter which is good because you know in a sense even if the world is sort of a dark place you have to kind of keep going i do i definitely don't believe in nihilism you have to keep kind of pushing forward 
And uh, so that's one way of trying to deal with this world is to kind of have some laughs and just, you know, like I think you were kind of milking some of that Stalin stuff. You're like posting selfies, like you know, it's just like, but it's funny. It's like, yeah, like promote Stalin, like fuck off, you know. It's just hilarious. I know. You know? No, it's. I funny. had to because it was like, I, well, I didn't expect that kind of reaction from that tweet. You know, I mean, it was, it was a semi shit post and it was a semi serious post. I don't know, but you know, like I knew, I knew people were going to be especially triggered by this thing that I said about like. Stalin was actually a great listener and collaborator and whatever, you know, like I knew that was going to drive people to the wall, but I didn't think it would go so far outside my circle or whatever, you know, and, and become this like viral thing that trended on Twitter. You can't predict that, of course. Um, but yeah, I think the main thing is we have to be ourselves, you, you know, have to like, be ourselves. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I realized that like people, I don't know, people, especially as my account grew, people started to be like, like, oh, Dr. Bear's so cool. Dr. Bear's a Chad, whatever, all this stuff. And I was like, huh, like people think that I'm personally cool. I did not see that coming, you know, like I did, <laughs> you know, God, no. you I know. thought, I thought it would be like, you know, again, I had that kind of liberal mindset, like, well, it's about the quality of the argument, <laughs> stuff like this. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's a piece of it. I mean, I think, I don't think people would would think I was cool as a professor if I didn't bring that, you know, but like, you know, so yeah, I bring that, but I don't know. Like, I think like if, if people think communism's cool, I'm happy with that, you know, like, like maybe they don't know that much about it, but they think it's cool. Great. Good, good start. You know, like, well, I mean, if, if anything, outcome, like when you have like so much, uh, you know, counter programming, it's like, it's evil, it's even evil, you know, maybe it's good. People are considering that it's not even evil. Maybe that's a start. And, uh, I think yeah. you were mentioning this on another interview where it's like, it's almost this thing where it's like, the more they say it's evil, they're kind of promoting it in a way because then it sort of sends people to research about it. And then you might have some people kind of click through and actually figure it out that maybe it isn't so bad, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it's obviously, like the war on drugs thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they, and, in a way, they, they start promoting it with those eggs commercials. You know, this is your brain on communism. <laughs> yeah. It'd be funny, like I replace drugs. <laughs> I think that does happen. I mean, I think a lot about like how to like kind of ramp up the educational effort, you know, like I've, I've written different scripts for ads myself, you know, like I had a period, I, I wasn't always in academia. I had a period where I uh, ran a nonprofit that's, you know, my, my father and stepmother did meditation and seminars and stuff like this. I learned a lot about marketing and whatever. Um you know, I think about that now. I think about like, what would, what would a compelling ad, you know, look like? Uh, what do you, you know, how do you, how do you meet people where they are? You know, like, I mean, you know, there's a few people that are going to be like, oh yes, you know, I want to read Capital and, you know, I want to like engage with these thousands of pages of text in the Marxist tradition. And, you know, like I, I definitely want to speak to those people, but I would love to speak to people that are, you know, in, in, in different, a medium where, you know, people aren't having to read so much or, you know, or they need to be kind of motivated to, to get into it, you know, and, and I, I'd like to see us kind of move in that direction. And I think we have some promising uh, movement in that direction because there's, there's just, there's a lot more left media, communist media. I mean, this stuff did not exist uh, not that long ago. Um, and I think it's part of that process of proletarian education. 
Yeah, and I think you were even mentioning that, like you were saying something that's something the right kind of knows how to do, which is sort of put things sort of simply in a way. Like, yeah, you yeah. can still have all those texts and do that kind of research, but you can also just have tools for people to be able to kind of get some exposure in a very simple way, you know, because, right. you know, kind of like when you were saying with that family analogy, like, okay, we're going to let this one kid starve because he didn't earn his wages for food. Of course, no one would do that, you know? So when you start to kind of like break down these concepts, I think it's kind of like, it, it's sort of like a lot more simpler to see than say, like, if you mentioned communism, which I think, especially given just the Hollywood and media and everything that it becomes almost, or Stalin, it becomes like a trigger word for people and not just yeah. right wingers, even liberals, you know? So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, you, there's still a lot of programming out there. So sometimes I think it's good to kind of look at it more like, Hey, this is what they're trying to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. yeah and, and you need, you need sort of like, like how do ideas become more reasonable? You know, you, you see somebody advocating for them who who seems to be like a decent regular person, right? Or like, you know, a, a an intelligent, caring person or whatever, right? Like, you know, you, you, ideas are never divorced from their context, you know, like you you have to, you know, you have to kind of uphold it, right? And so that seems to be the position that I'm kind of taking on, like on Twitter. And, you know, like I was never big on like sharing selfies on social media, honestly, like, you know, that was never a big thing of what I did, but I, I'm like, now I see like, oh, I can do a selfie and I can like attach a few of my long threads to it. And it gets like a thousand likes on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, well, if, if you guys like it, I will definitely <laughs> post selfies, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's so, it's just about kind of having fun with it while, while at the yeah. same time you're still throwing that out there and kind of like, you know, again, totally. it's sort of like part of that community that even if Twitter is a hell site with a lot of uh, questionable characters, there is a lot of good people out there like spreading good information, you know, so. And it's been it's just been try fun to use these to tools, connect. you know. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's it's also there's a fascinating thing about how global it is, you know, I mean, like I, I wrote a, a, a lot of long threads. I mean, I'm working on a book on this on, on Xinjiang and the, and the Uyghur situation. And um, I got lots of followers from China and that, it's been very helpful to me, you know, because this is an, an area that I'm learning a lot about myself, you know, like I'm not formally educated on, on China. So I really rely on, you know, these kind of conversations to help me, you know, to learn. And I, I think, you know, again, this is like part of this proletarian education theme is that we all learn from each other. And I, I, it's a huge mistake for anyone, no matter what you, you know, no matter what you're an expert in, your, your expertise is a very thin slice, you know? Yep. That's um, totally true. There's, there's going to be so much that you don't know. And, you know, like having that humility and being like, you know, yeah, let's learn from each other, you know? I mean, and I think that's also the, that's the communist ethos, uh, and and so I'm kind of I'm trying to shed my own, you know, internalized elitism along with this. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons that academia takes a while to kind of join the sort of revolutionary side, maybe is because of maybe that's some sort of egoism and and being like, well, we're the educated ones, you know, <laughs> right. it's like, we're okay, the most important ones. Yeah, yeah, If you're educated, then why are you supporting a system like capitalism? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you're showing your cards there, you know, but uh but anyways, I, I found, I found ahead, it sorry. funny that people, a lot of people have stepped to me and been like, 
you know, like I, I will say something about, you know, so, yeah, I don't know, simping for the global proletariat or something like this. And people will be like, yeah, but you're part of the bourgeoisie or something like this. Or you're not part of the proletariat. You yeah, know? me, me it's like, chilling with my millions in Riverside, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's just funny, like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm in a privileged position as an academic, you know, I have a good job with tenure, I've got good benefits. I mean, I look at sometimes, you know, and I have these things, even in academia, I have these things because we have an incredibly strong, well-connected faculty union at RCC. I've been, you know, I've been, I've worked as part of this team myself, you know, I'm very grateful to my colleagues who have really done the heavy lifting on this. Um, that makes a huge difference. You know, like I look at my, my paycheck and the benefits that the college has paid on my behalf are like $3,600 a month, right? For the healthcare. Isn't that crazy? That's a the lot. college pays for that. And I pay the college zero for that, right? Like that's amazing. Right. And my colleagues at other places are not so lucky, you know, like to put down a thousand dollars a month, $1,500 a month for your healthcare is not at all uncommon. You know, just, yeah. you're lucky to get anything. You're lucky to get any coverage. Right. So, you know, the arts, the, I, I, I'm aware that I'm in a privileged position in this sort of, you know, aristocracy of labor or whatever that gives me something to lose. You know, like when people call for my firing, you know, they're, they're calling for that, right. They're saying you should lose your privileged position here, you know? And I just think that's interesting. Like I'm simultaneously supposed to be part of the capitalist class or something, right? And and at the same time, you know, there's a tacit recognition that you know I could be cast out from it. And and by the way, I don't have the kind of money that if I don't have a job, you know, like I'm cool with that. I'm not at all in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, you know, it, it's sort of like you don't want to get too much in the what is that that. that cartoon is it matt boars where it's like i am very intelligent like you use an <laughs> iphone so therefore you and you're against capitalism and you're fly, you're on a plane it's like yeah because that's the fucking world we live in you the world, shit yeah. that you <laughs> set up and it, yeah i guess the world that you live in also thousands of people starve to death and you know you know Every we're day, back yeah. into like a robber baron age where what three people own half the wealth in the u.s or whatever and how many yeah. acres of farmland does bill gates have you know i mean it's like you know let's where are those comic strips i'm just saying it's like i don't know just because you have to use the tools that you're using or you have to survive it's like oh you bought a house how very capitalist of you you know it's like yeah because <laughs> i don't want to like you don't want to die you know what i mean right. yeah, if you own a hundred houses and you're like you know parasiting then yeah it's a different thing but it's like yeah you we live in society you know that's what it is we're try actually trying to you know do the work especially someone like you with all these videos doing the work to try and unravel some of this shit you know i don't know yeah you yeah can't, you can't be hating on people for just trying to live you know i don't know Especially then there's people who have yachts that have boats in the yachts. It's like, maybe that's the problem, you know, your yacht a with a boat in the yacht, you know, as opposed to me, like, you know, trying to make a living in this world, you know, I don't know. You, you can't create these vast fortunes without sucking up wealth from society. Right. And then that's going to, that's going to produce deprivation. I mean, that's the math, you know, it's, it's crazy that we're, we're taught that like, the fortunes of the rich just have nothing to do with anybody else, you know? Like, oh, that's because I worked hard and took risks. Like, really? You know, yeah. like I'm Elon Musk, he's so smart. To <laughs> yeah. He's such a genius. That's why he's so rich. He's just so smart. 
Oh my God, your show is going to get overrun by by trolls if you even. I know uh, Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. I know exactly. <laughs> what was like? Yeah, I know exactly. Some funny stuff. Well, anyways, uh, I don't want to keep you too much of your time, but uh, I really appreciate you uh, sitting and talking with me, man. For sure. Absolutely. And, and so everything that you do, me. you know. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll put I'm, up I'm going to share a playlist with you in case you you know want to want to throw. Yeah, in some yeah. Tell me, yeah, tell me, tell me what are some what are some things you were thinking of musically? Like where where do you kind of come from musically? Well, I mean, I I'm uh, you know I'm in the Generation X. I'm I'm 48, so you know I, I'm I'm like definitely came up with the music of like the 80s and 90s, you know, and and uh, big uh, hip hop fan from from that era. Uh, also, like electronic music. Oh, a nice! Lot. What kind of electronic um, music? Well, you know, I'm I'm definitely like when when I was when I was a kid, it was all about New Order, you know. Nice. Like that was that was just a you know. And now I'm 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 kind of like I'm I'm realizing. I mean, YouTube, you know, I'm realizing that like yeah, I always love these songs, but I never really like watch the videos for them. Yeah, I'm there's like, some cool '80s videos. Video. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I definitely do that with a lot of '80s hip hop videos because I didn't always like see the videos of even tracks yeah. that I DJed with, and I'm like, wow, this video is amazing. You know? Yeah, like I've been kind of tripping out on um, the this video for uh, the Perfect Kiss. You know that that's a New Order song, um, and it's a long. It's like ten minutes long. You know, and it's like these guys in the studio. You know. And just it's just showing you how the sausage is made, you know, and it's just kind of cool to like see that, you know, because a lot of the other other videos are, you know, very, you know, weird avant-garde type of type right, of style right, they right. were, you know, back in eighties. Right, right. <laughs> so nice. Uh, um, what kind of hip hop was it? More like were you always on the West Coast? Was it uh, more West Coast hip hop or just uh, classic stuff? You know, uh, um. I probably listen to less West Coast just because I'm from the East Coast myself. And, you know, like in, in the 90s, I was like in college and then in grad school. And that was when the whole like alternative hip hop scene, like first kind of just, you know, hit the scene. And you're like, wow, you know, this art form has gotten to the place where it has a underground part segment to it. that's really interesting and vital, you know. Um, and so I was definitely like really into that, like in the, like the late nineties kind of era, you know, when I was, when I was in, in grad school and, you know, certainly like some of those figures became, you know, more like breakout hits, like, like most deaf and Talib Kweli, you know, like, um, and, and then some of them just sort of, you know, remained obscure or like, you know, never went anywhere, you know, and, um, but that was definitely like a a big genre for me back in the day and now i'm like i gotta get into that again you know like i lost touch with a lot of this stuff and yeah yeah there's always good stuff that's something i always need to kind of keep up with is there always is still lots of good hip-hop coming out and i have a few friends that have radio shows that i need to like kind of peep their stuff more because they're a little bit more up on uh newer things coming out in terms of that kind of underground sound you know yeah but uh, in terms of because I know maybe just we can end on this or whatever. But uh, you were mentioning, you know, because you do meditation. Do you do you ever do music with the meditation or is it more just like a, like a session, like a lead session or, or um... if I'm meditating myself personally, I don't do either one of those things. I just do, you know, like yeah. I'm just uh, I just do my my own practices uh, silently. Um, I've certainly, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've been a student of meditation for a long time. I've done lots of, of, of you know, guided meditations with people and, and things like this, retreats. And, you know, so I, I appreciate that, but I don't, I don't use it myself in terms of, of recordings. I don't know. I mean, it can be very helpful, actually. It can, it can be, you know, you, you, you have a kind of framework where you, where you follow along. Um, it just isn't where I'm personally at. Um, so I, I feel like it's weird because I, I'm like, I, I teach, but I don't use that stuff for myself, you know, like, but so, I mean, I don't know, like, well, I, maybe I you kind of like line. you're, you're trying to maybe show people a way to meditate, but then you might be, you might've found yeah. within your own practice, what works for you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it is about being able to like have techniques and master those techniques so that you own them yourself and you don't need you know, I can be nice. Like I said, right. It can be nice to have some, it's nice to just share the vibe with somebody else, you know? Um, and so, you know, this is, this is kind of like my vision for the class. I put it out there as a live stream thinking, you know, well, maybe people would want to have that live experience, you know, because there is a vibe that comes across. Um, and I, I think probably most people end up watching those classes later. I've heard from people that they, Sometimes they do, they put it on as background or whatever. It's it's kind of mind bending for me because it's like, you know, you put something out there and you just have no idea, you know, how people are gonna are gonna use it, you know, and it's certainly fine, you know. Like I mean, I you know, but it's it's just funny because like as a as a serious student of meditation or whatever, you, you know, you think everybody's gonna be giving you like a hundred percent of their attention or something. Right, like right, that. right, 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 right. Might not be true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, however people find useful, then I'm I'm good, you know. Like I mean, I think that's that's all you can do as a creator of content, you know. Yeah, no doubt. You just you throw yourself you throw your stuff out there and people are just going to interpret it how they want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, thank you so much for uh for hanging out. And Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much yeah. for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. You've been listening to Small Changes Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.